Welcome to the Jay Kim Show. This is your host, Jay Kim. I am an investor, author, and fitness entrepreneur. And for the first time in Asia, I sit down with the world's most brilliant minds in business, investing, and entrepreneurship. You'll learn all the secrets, strategies, and formulas to becoming a successful entrepreneur directly from the masters. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insight to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today's guest is Alan Chen. Alan is the founder and managing partner of Vector Ventures. Vector Ventures is an early stage investment fund that he launched in 2013. They are Hong Kong based, and he focuses on some cool market sectors such as fintech, data analytics, VR, and medtech. So for those of you who are familiar with the startup scene here in Hong Kong, you've probably heard of Alan. He's quite famous. He won the Angel Investor of the Year Award in 2015, along with Sequoia and GSR Ventures. This episode is for startup founders because we talk about specifically what he looks at when he invests into startups. So make sure you're taking notes. Let's jump right into the show. All right, Alan, thanks so much for being on the show. Why don't you just take some time to introduce yourself to our audience? Uh, you're quite well known here in, within the Hong Kong ecosystem, but for our listeners abroad, maybe you could just run us through who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I wouldn't say I'm famous <laughs> locally or anywhere, <laughs> but I run a firm called Vector Ventures. We invest in early stage technology companies uh, across the globe and early stage we pretty much call anything from you know angel or seed round all the way up to series b we still look at and so uh, we try to take you know a slightly more hands-on or different approach to to investing in early stage so we jump in on you know business development product and really just try to be helpful to our founders after we invest and so, you know, we're structured in a way so that our company can work with our portfolio companies freely from, like I was saying, from product design, product build, business development, sales, expansion in Asia. And we really try to get in there to help them on you know, whatever it is they need and to be their first call whenever uh, a problem needs to be solved versus, you know, calling us when it's trying to put out fires. So we try to get in there early um, and try to build good relationships with our founders. Right. So, and and it's Asian focused funds, right? Well, we actually, so we invest everywhere right now. Uh, more than half of our portfolio is based in the United States. Mm. Um, we've got around a quarter of our portfolio based in Europe, and another quarter based around Asia Pacific. And so, we don't really mind where the company is from. But at the end of the day, we try very hard to see what in our network and who in our network can plug into our invested companies. And, you know, we try to be the voice of reason when considering expansion in, into Asia Pacific, either, you know, in proper and steady strategic planning together or to be the voice that tells them this is not going to happen. Asia is not one place and this is going to be a lot harder than you think. And so, you know, not always good stuff, but we try to be there 
to be realistic. Yeah, no, sure. I think that there's definitely a need for uh, investors such as yourself. I mean, there's a handful of guys that are kind of doing, trying to do, accomplish the same same sort of stuff. And especially for for startups that aren't are not based. Uh, regionally, and they're based whether in Silicon Valley or maybe abroad in Europe or some of the other ecosystems. They China is always on their radar, so to speak, and so is Asia. And a lot of times they try to charge in uh, prematurely, or maybe they don't have the resources and or a partner for that, and they end up, uh, you know, being out of business within the region in in a year. So uh, there is definitely a need for a firm like yours. So how, how many people are on your team now? So right now our team is up to 15 uh, full-time, but we have wow. a few venture partners and advisors that are spread out around the world, and uh, we keep in close contact with them as well. Okay, wow. And, and you only started this firm in 2014, is that right? Yeah, we started in the summer of 2014. You know, the idea of it came around then, uh, the name and whatnot, I think came around June, if I remember correctly, <laughs> something like that. And so, yeah, we started around then. We moved into you know, our office here in Hong Kong near the end of November 2014. So almost uh, two years now. Almost two year mark. Yeah, and you guys have beautiful office space there. I've, I've been there personally and, and I love it. <laughs> so why don't you talk, uh, can you t- share with us a little bit about your sort of before you uh, launched Vector Ventures? What were you doing and how did your prior experience lead you down this path? Sure. Coming to tech, I think for me, back into investing was very full circle. So I first applied to university for information systems in Carnegie Mellon uh, for early decision, but you know I got deferred, uh, didn't get in. So I ended up going to a different school and studying political science, philosophy, and economics, and just went a totally opposite way. So early, very early love for technology. Going through high school during the first tech boom in year 2000, right? And we were you know, weighing everything by clicks. Uh, so even back then, you know, with my family and some of my family friends, seeing them involved in the space, you know, I was very into it very early. And so, you know, I ended up going to Duke University, studying all that, came out, was an investment banker based in Hong Kong and China for around three years, mm. um, just doing a very typical investment banking. And then after the financial crisis, I left in around 2009 and then went to Shanghai and joined a company that was founded by my then chairman and now a good friend. Um, trying to build a amusement park um, in China for children. And oh, so, you know, I joined in there um, as a product manager and helping sort of plan out the program that's inside. And program meaning, you know, the economy and how the game works once you get into the to the arena and not so much, you know, a computer program. So right. did that for around half a year or so until we realized that our property wasn't going to work out so investors and whatnot pulled out, which was very unfortunate and heartbreaking for myself. <laughs> Being in the first, you know, first time I jumped into a company is so gung ho, right? So yeah, it's a bit painful. So that didn't pan out as we wanted, which was unfortunate because I still love the product to this day, mm-hmm. um, even though it's not a tech startup per se, like the way we see it. Right. So after that happened, I moved back to Hong Kong and got a bit involved with my family business. And so we were just, you know, I was looking at real estate and some just general investments across the board for alternative investments. And mm-hmm. probably within a year or so, this was around 2010, got a bit antsy, well, very antsy, and then moved to China with my then co-founder and started a company called IPL, which was doing ticketing and entertainment 
in China. Right. So it was a bit like Fandango, Ticketmaster, mm-hmm. and maybe like E Online and some mm-hmm. other entertainment news site all rolled to, into one product. And we did that for around four years or so before we sold that to a Chinese media uh, conglomerate early 2014. Um, and in the meantime, right. <laughs> yeah, thanks. In the meantime, I was working on a few things as well on the side, which sort of led me to what Vector is now. Mm. So what happened was, in the meantime, once I started that, got back in touch with the tech world and with my investor sort of mentality too, just started looking at a lot of early and stage technology companies, you know, from all over the place, just through the network. And I started taking a look, and this was around 2011, maybe. So as you probably know too, around that time in, in Asia and this part of the world, there wasn't that much tech. Right. Uh, investing or tech talk going on. I think most mm-hmm. people were still reallocating their uh, resources back into the world right after the financial crisis. That's right. Right. I ended up, you know, just through jinks and different things, talking to my ex bosses, ex colleagues, some of my, you know, my buddies, like mentors and advisors or whatnot at the time, and um, sort of friends that have worked a little longer than myself, just saying, hey, I'm looking at this stuff see these really interesting companies and I'm going to put in some money here at a very early stage. And one thing led to another and eventually I pretty much started running a private syndicate there with around a dozen people, you know, six, seven deals later, just with people that found it interesting. Um, You know, I didn't charge anyone anything and we were just investing together as a club. So it was great. You know, I got to learn a lot about talking to founders, uh, doing due diligence, um, learned how to live my life around uh, Pacific time in Hong Kong. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right, which is still a big part of our lives now. You know, early in the morning, late at night, I'm usually on the mm-hmm. phone. And just started looking at companies and having people invest alongside me, which was a really good experience because it taught me you know, a bit of responsibility. It taught me how to you know, really think through things and present it to others. And you know, so we did a few investments like that. And I also tried to launch another company in the middle that was trying to be a tech platform mm. for NGOs, which was NGO itself. And so that's how I met one of my, uh, my team members now, uh, you know, my, my VP of technology. That's how we met back then. Ah. So we started building this platform. And by the end, when I sold, you know, IPL, like full circle back to IPL, and I sold, I had a good think, you know, just spent some time after that to have a good think about what it is that I wanted to do, I think. From being a part of a big company to being part of a family business to being part of somebody else's business to you know running my own business, mm. I really feel like it was a, and running like a private syndicate. It was a sort of a quick sprint in a few years, I would say, to go yeah. through a good amount of experiences. So I was able to draw on that and just you know think to myself of, okay, like what do I like here? What are the things that I'm good at? What are the things that I'm not so good at? What are things that I actually can do? What are things I can't do, no matter how much I like it or whatever? And, you know, spent some time to just think through everything and sort of ended up with the beginning of Vector. Yeah, that's awesome. And you guys have the speed at which you, you know, after you sort of did your thinking and whatnot, the speed in which you guys, in 2014 to now, the impact and whatnot in the marketplace, like it's quite impressive. So, so congratulations on that. And, you know, going back to what you were talking about the syndicate. Um, now, how how was that? How did that actually work? Was it 
was it uh, just like a club thing where people would bring deals to the table and everyone would take a look at it and if you want in, you want, or was it actually more formal where there was a, a pool of money and it was, it was managed like a fund? It was actually more casual than both. Mm. We just did companies back then. I mean, you know, I didn't go through a proper fund structure, any of that. And I was the only one suggesting and bringing the investments and deals. So, you know, we would just be in contact all the time. And whenever I found a company that I would really like, I pretty much would just copy and paste all my notes into an email and tell everyone, this is how much I'm putting. This is how much we can go up to. This is the timeline. This is what I think. And, you know, I usually ended off, the email eventually started with it saying, if you're not interested, please don't ask me questions and you don't have to write me back. And, you know, we just started holding companies in just random BVIs and whatnot. And then mm-hmm. I would just parcel it out that way. I mean, I only did it those investments with people that I really trusted. Right. I mean, I joke around saying I only co-invested with people then that I knew where they lived so I could just stand in front of the front door. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in case anything happens and, and exactly. vice versa and so oh, we yeah. kept that a very tight group and, and you know we did it very informally really uh, it was a lot of it was based on trust and it was really good and I'm, you know I'm very thankful for the, all my all the friends that uh, sort of joined in with me at the beginning and you know luckily you know many many if not all of those investments we made are still around right now so um, did that portfolio eventually fold into Vector or is that completely separate? Uh, yes, I had, I did fold it into Vector. Okay. So the interesting thing is you were able to somewhat uh, have an education because of this, this syndicate that you ran, uh, which I think is great because, you know, basically angel investing for people that don't know and, and want to get into it, it's basically like throwing your money in the trash can. I mean, I've, I've, I've been an angel investor in the past and I've lost a lot of money in the past. And I realized, you know what, and the most, the, the biggest thing is actually time, like the time, like you said, the conference calls and the d- due diligence that you have to put in to actually meet these companies and get to a level of comfort where you can actually, uh, you know, you, you, you can feel that it's, it's, it's going to be successful. And then taking that one step further is now what you're doing at Vector is where you actually provide resources in addition to money to ensure that it's kind of like an insurance policy on your investments. Like, I'm going to help them uh, take it to the next level, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, our whole mentality is, the way I describe it, it's also sort of, I try to keep it lighthearted, but how I this is honestly how I feel about it, is, you know, everyone's worked very hard for their money, so I'm not totally into just signing over a check and saying good luck and waiting for Mm -hmm. it to come back. It may not be the best that I get involved and be hands-on, but and you never know, right? Even companies I really like sometimes, and I try to be very helpful. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And some that you do nothing for actually go flying. But we, you know, we try to mitigate. I call it mitigating risk, really, to see mm-hmm. how we can help the best we can to allow the founder to do as much as they can, so that um, you know, everyone's happy at the end of the day. That's right. And interests are aligned for sure. Yeah, um, we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about Hong Kong uh, for a bit. And you're, you're from here, so you've seen the ecosystem here evolve. Uh, you know, when I, I moved here in 05 and, and there, was, there was virtually nothing, like you said, and around 2010, 2011 is when I as well noticed and observed the sort of uptick in activity and interest in, in early stage investing. And then now... 
fast forward, you know, five, six years, here we are. However, I feel like there's still a long way to go here within, within Hong Kong, especially. Uh, I think there's other ecosystems within Asia that are more advanced than we are. So what do you think the largest challenge that we have here in Hong Kong is? Uh, and what will it take to, to, to get our ecosystem to the next level? Well, it's sort of two-sided. As far as the ecosystem goes, what people perceive as our weakness, in my opinion, is also our strength. And, and what does that mean, right? So I personally am a strong believer in uh, the private sector and the private sector driving sort of business and innovations and things forward, which I would say not all other comparisons we have in, in, in the region are that way. And, you know, the perils of having the private sector drive something sometimes is it goes slower mm. and people are a little more cautious and it just takes time, right? Because especially in a place like Hong Kong, where, you know, in our previous lives, I mean, all the different ways people can monetize, invest and, you know, take care of their wealth here and take care of their cash and investments, it makes something like early stage investment and tech very related to how investors are feeling generally, which means is it like bull markets, market riding high, is property riding high? And if it is, then you know everyone's got a little more spare money because everyone thinks everything is all good. Right. But you know, on the downside, like where we are now, where the world is a little shakier and everyone across the board is being more cautious then it makes it a little tougher, right, in the ecosystem. But I think as far as companies and what we've noticed over the past few years is we've seen a lot more companies now, if not all of them we see, directly tackling a problem and building a product out of their own insights and out of their own experiences. And so at the first wave, we saw a lot of you know, copy A, B, C, D, E, F, G to Hong Kong mm -hmm. because it works somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as far as we've seen, you know, that doesn't always work, no matter if you copy to China or copy it to here, like some work, right. some don't. And then we eventually re saw a group that was doing that, but then with, you know, slight local twist, like with a slight Hong Kong angle and they have to change it up because, you know, people then realize, okay, this doesn't work. You know, Hong Kong doesn't have the same issues as like, the Bay Area. Um, right. I don't need everything delivered to me when I can just walk downstairs and pretty much buy anything that I want within five minutes. And, you know, 90% right. of the population in Hong Kong lives in that circumstance, right? Like, you just yes. go downstairs. So That's it's right. not a big deal. Um, but now, uh, what's really, really comforting and really, really sort of uh, inspiring and great to see is that more and more teams and founders, you know, have done it once, are building something again. And maybe really allowing people to uh, sort of reach and say, hey, I want to do this and solve this problem. And I don't care if it's done somewhere else necessarily, and I'm just going to do it. Uh, and I think that's been a really good, sort of a nice progression over the past few years. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. It's, it's, I think part of that is maturity of the market as well. You know, when, when founders, like you say, they've failed once or maybe they've had a couple different ventures and then finally they're like okay let's not we don't need the uber of hong kong we don't need the postmates of hong kong we need to build something that is for hong kong right exactly right so if you think about it <laughs> i tell this to my team sometimes so chances are no matter what you do it's not going to work anyways 
right? Statistics say. <laughs> so you might as yeah, well right. you might as well swing for the fences, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So that's how that's a good point. Yeah. So so let's talk about okay, let's talk about what, what every founder that's listening to this or is going to be listening to this wants to hear. Uh, they they wanna know they're a young aspiring founder, they're they're thinking about launching a company or maybe they've already launched a company and they wanna get money and they wanna fundraise, um, and they want it from Vector Ventures. What type of companies do you look for? What do you specifically look for in founders, in companies, in in, in entrepreneurs that you will back? Right. So let's start with you know, seed stage and very early, you know, a mentor once told me for a very early stage companies that never fall in love with a product or never fall in love with the specific pitch and the specific problem that, um, or a method in which a team is solving a problem because, especially if it's consumer, but, it, you know, it really doesn't matter because if that's wrong and you bet on the product then and versus the team, then you may be in deep trouble because, you know, who knows what the market uh, really mm -hmm. picks up. So what I was taught very early on was, you know, make sure the team uh, gives you the confidence that they can sort it out and they will figure it out. And, you know, they'll battle and fight till the end um, to make mm -hmm. sure that they can fit into the market. And so very early on for us, a uh, big thing for me for founders, obviously, is a bit of pedigree of you know past experiences what they've done before and part of mm. like why you of all people because any any sort of idea that you can come up with i'm sure you know at least a hundred other people have thought about in the world so right. why you for this problem and mm -hmm. so secondly we i'd like to you know take a look at founders to see you know in their vision of where the company is going to go I like to know that they're very clear in terms of what they're good at and what they're bad at and how this is going to happen. And what does that mean? And uh, not in like showing me like huge projections and you know the company is going to be worth like a bazillion dollars right. in like a few years, but more of so how are we going to use this capital? What is this going to do? Uh, what are we addressing with this time and capital for the seed round? And to really give me a sense that they know that this is the beginning and this is like an uphill battle, if not the steepest part right now. And I really need to get comfort that the founder has thought about that and realizes that too. What I'm most afraid of is the feeling you get when founders get a seed round and it almost feels like they already won the entire battle, like the, won right. the entire war, right? Which is, you're not even like in the first battle, you're just getting ready for the first battle. But <laughs> yeah, you get this, you're warming up. <laughs> right, but you know, there has been, you know, which is hard, right? Because the thing with growth and like fast growth and ecosystem is, uh, you know, there are a lot of different peripheral, you know, events and all types of things that happen. And inadvertently, there are times when uh, I think some founders get carried away mm. and spend their time doing things that are really not that important, you know? So we like to tell our founders, other than if it's an event which borderlines on a trade show, which allows them to grow their business, which gets them in touch with people that they need, right. we tell them, like, don't talk about anything, go, go on panels, don't go talk about entrepreneurship because you just started anyways, and just go to work, build your yeah. product, go, go get the market, right? Don't waste all your time doing these other things. And so I really like to get a sense of how these teams and like how they work together and how the leader or leaders of the team 
are driven towards actually achieving their goal uh, and not being too distracted, right? I mean, I'm sure you've seen too, there's some companies sometimes, there this pitch competition, that pitch competition, mm. like there's so many different competitions and sometimes I'm just wondering... Where's the focus, right? Yeah, like, why are we doing this? Or yep. I saw you pitch like a year ago and you're still at a pitch competition this year, you know, it makes me ask a lot of bigger questions other than about the product and the company. I'll be asking more questions about the founders. And at that point, um, you know, that's an uphill battle for a company. And I think any investor too, you want us to be focused on the product and believe you and, and the plan versus asking questions about you. You, right. right. There should be no <laughs> questions. No, there should be 100% confidence in the jockey, so to speak, right? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I just want to be clear of your plan. And I mean, yesterday I was talking to a founder and he's like, well, I thought, you know, rounds should be this size and, you know, investors like to do it this way. So I didn't want to like, you know, step across the line. And my point to him was really like, look, don't listen to what other people say, right? I mean, it's like writing an essay in school. You tell the teacher why what you write is important. Mm. <laughs> you don't wait for her to tell mm. you what it's important. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if that was the case, then like, you're not going to get the top marks. You're not going to get, because you didn't, there's nothing new. And so I told this guy, look, you just go back and think about how much you need, but you need to tell me what that does for you and what that does for everybody. And if you can clearly depict that scenario, then we can talk about anything. Right. It doesn't matter, right? Don't play within a box, because at the end of the day, there is a lot of standardization in sort of what we're doing now, but every business is different. Every team is different. All investors are different. So what's important is you as the founder, you convince me what is happening and then I'll decide if I agree, but don't just do whatever I say, because then, I mean, the only difference between us and you is that I chose not to do what you're doing and I chose right. to do what I'm doing, which is right. why would I invest in you at that point? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so are there, can you give me like two or three of the startups that are in your portfolio? Maybe, let's say, I know you're, you're global, but let's say Hong Kong companies that you're, you're particularly excited about at this point. Well, one company I'm very excited about in Hong Kong is Dayday Cook. Yep, Norma, yeah. She's great. Yeah, she's great. She's amazing. Uh, one of the founders I say I have to worry the least about. Um, she is doing super well, uh, you know, broke a hundred million plus views in the past few months. And she has really come a long way since we invested in her. And, you know, she's grown her platform a lot, tons of fans, even to the point where someone stopped her on the street in Shanghai and says like, hey, I know you, which is sort of crazy uh, if you think about how that works nowadays, right? And it's, you know, that one has made me, you know, very proud and we're very happy to be part of it, just especially talking to traditional media and whatnot too around town mm. and in different regions. It's just really interesting to see of, oh, like, how are they doing, you know, uh, that, that cooking company, blah, blah, blah. And then you give them the statistics and the room sort of goes silent for a bit, yeah. which is very satisfying Aww. for us. And we're like... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, Norma and Data Cook, we've been very excited about. And we, you know, we're working with her to hopefully come up with a, a lot more exciting things uh, in her business. And um, that one, you know, based out of Hong Kong, is something we're very, very uh, happy to be part of. And for many in Hong Kong, they probably never even heard of Norma, which is sort of what we like because yeah. she doesn't run around 
doing things. She's too busy working. She's the type, if you ask her, can you come on a panel? She is kind of going to turn you down because she's too busy and will be asking you, what am I going to get out of this? Uh, What does this do for my business? And if it doesn't do anything, I mean, she's out. And that's one thing that we love about uh, her. Great founder. She, uh, yeah, she, she's crushing it. And uh, fortunately, she's agreed to actually be on this podcast as well. So I haven't booked her the time yet, but uh, because she's probably too busy working, (laughs) which is good news for you. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I I, I know Sam as as well. So uh, I'm really happy to see her success. Um, Entrepreneurs, frankly speaking. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, listen, uh, we got to look to wrap up. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. I, I have just two more questions for you. So, the first is, what is one final piece of advice that you can give to aspiring startup founders, or maybe people that actually are start in working at a startup right now, looking to for some growth, looking to get the next round of funding? What's one piece of advice that you can give them today? I think the most important thing is to be clear. I mean, meaning be clear about your plan, be clear about why you're heading towards your milestone and be clear and honest to yourself and to your prospective or existing investors about, you know, what the roadblocks and what the difficulties will be. Um, Because, you know, nobody believes that, nobody believes in the entire projected plan ever anyways, because, you know, that's just not how everything works, I suppose. Right. Um, and so what I think is really important is, you know, make sure you, you stay honest and well-planned about all that and make sure that, you know, we have one company, um, which we really like the founder of too, super hustler. But what he does is at the end of every month, he'll send a very simple email. He goes, hey, this is what we've done. This is what we're doing in the middle of. Uh, these are things what we're having trouble with. And we'll send a very short list of, these are things I need help with from whoever mm. is reading this email right now. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, the investor group, but very open to constantly be saying, hey, I don't know how to do this. And hey, I'm having trouble with this. And just, you know, we're, all, we're invested or want to invest. And so we're there to help. But, you know, there's a lot of times that I think founders don't open up as much as they want as, you know, uh, at least we want them to. And um, I would say just stay active, stay focal, and stay well-planned. And when you talk to investors, make sure that you convey that so so that you know we're debating parts of your plan, but we're not crafting the plan and the vision with you. Um, you know, that would be, mm. I think, something to take for everyone when talking to any investor. Great advice. Great advice, Alan. Thanks for that. Uh, last question is, where can people find you, follow you? Uh, and, wh- you know, where, 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 where's your homepage? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, different members of my team. We're on AngelList, Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't post much on a variety of different accounts, but, you know, I sort of retweet interesting articles here and there. Uh, we have a Vector Ventures account, too on Instagram, Twitter, and whatnot that you can follow, and Facebook as well, and our website. Uh, you can just search us, uh, Vector, V-C-T-R Ventures, and uh, we should pop up. Awesome. Great. Thanks for your time, Alan. I really appreciate it, and I enjoyed the talk today. Best of luck yeah, with, uh, with all your uh, portfolio investments. Thanks. And, uh, for your podcast, too. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye.
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.